0: All right, so this morning, we're going to continue on in our series entitled Malachi's Modern Message, Malachi's Modern Message, and in it, we're looking at several conversations that God is having with his people, and uh, in these conversations, he wants to talk to them about love, and about family, and about stewardship, and about worship, and sacrifice, and uh, about hope for the future, all things that we still Think about today. It's really kind of amazing, isn't it, how this little book written over 2,400 years ago still speaks to our situation today, and that's because God himself is really the author of it. Malachi wrote it down, but it was God inspiring him to write these words, and so they still speak to us today. Let me give you just a little bit of a review so we can get a running start this morning. So Malachi was written somewhere around 100 years after the Israelites had returned from their exile. So somewhere around 400 BC, maybe a little bit before that is when it was written. So the walls of the city of Jerusalem had been rebuilt and the people were living inside Jerusalem and uh, in the surrounding countryside and then the temple had been rebuilt and the outward forms of worship were going on. But things weren't really going well. Most of the people were poor, the harvests were often poor, they were still under the dominion of the Persian Empire, and the Messiah hadn't yet come, and uh, faith and faithfulness were on the decline. Things weren't really going well politically, things weren't going well spiritually, things weren't going well economically, and, and the people were largely blaming God for all this. You know, that this, this was God's fault. If God really cared about us a little bit more, then it wouldn't be like this, and kind of blaming God for it. And God, So God's going to sit down and have a conversation with his people. It's like God sat down with a rebellious teenager, a rebellious obstinate teenager, and wants to have a conversation with them. And, and each thing he brings up, God wants to bring something up and, and talk with them about it. And each time, they respond to God with kind of this incredulous response that says, God, what are you talking about? How is what you just said true? And so then God responds to them and shows them exactly how what he has just said is in fact true. Now last week, we looked at this first conversation that God had with them. And the first thing God said to them was, I have loved you. He sat them down at the table and looked across the table and said, I love you. Now, how many of you know when somebody says, you know, hey, we need to talk and we just sit down and the first thing they do is they look in your eyes and say, look, look, I just want you to know that I love you. All right, that the conversation that's about to happen is probably an uncomfortable one, right? When when a group of your friends sit you down and all of a sudden everybody looks at you and says, we just want you to know we all love you. This is a safe space, okay, here. You know an uncomfortable conversation is about to happen now it may be a conversation that needs to happen it may be a conversation that's been a long time coming right but an uncomfortable conversation is about to happen and that's exactly what happened here God said hey listen can we talk you know and the first thing he says is I love you and so this morning we have this continuation of this conversation today we're going to look at the second conversation that God has with his people it's in the book of Malachi And it's about worship. It's about worship and service. So the title of today's message is Malachi's Message of Worship. Malachi's Message of Worship. It's found in chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. And actually, this whole section actually continues through chapter 2, verse 9. But this morning, we're only going to have time to look at chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. I encourage you to read the rest of it when you go home. Now, it's a little long. I want to read the entire passage so that we can get a sense of the whole thing. And I know it's a little bit long, but uh, then we'll come back and we'll unpack it together. Ready? Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. And it says this, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you and show you favor, says the Lord, of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show you favor? Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, and and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock, and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Amen. All right, so let's go back and let's start to unpack these verses together and see what we can take away and apply to our daily lives. All right, look at verse 6. He says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where is my fear or respect, some translations say. So God has an issue with his children, and and they're not treating him right. They're, They're not treating him with the honor and the respect that he deserves and that they owe him. And so he's going to sit down across the table from them and, uh, and have a conversation with them. And he starts by saying this, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Now this statement is God reaching out to them. We should understand this statement as God reaching across the table and trying to find some common ground with them. It's like when a mediator engages in conflict resolution, right? The first thing they do is they look for some common ground. I mean, they don't start with, like, the the biggest, most contentious issue and and try to start there, right? They they look for some common ground and see if they can build on that. So this is God looking for some common ground. And uh, they would all agree that a servant should honor his master. They would all agree that a son should honor his father. So God looks at them and says, you know, look, you expect your servants to honor you, right? Uh, you expect that your children will treat you with respect, right? So we agree about that, right? Well, you know, I- I'm your father. You call me father, but you, you don't honor me the, the way a father should be honored. He's saying, you know, you call me Lord, you call me Master, you call me Almighty God, but you don't treat me like I'm any of those things. You really don't act like I'm Lord and Master. God is saying, you know, there's something that you're doing that's dishonoring me, you're, you're disrespecting me. And continue on now in verse 6. He goes a little bit further. He says, if I'm a father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts, O priests who despise my fear name. Despise. Now that's a strong word, isn't it? Now he's gone past dishonor, and he's gone past disrespect, and God says that they are despising him. They're despising his name. Now that sounds pretty serious, you know, and I don't know about you, but at this point, if I'm watching this conversation, and I'm hearing God say that they're despising his name, I'm beginning to wonder, what is going on with these people? I mean, what is going on with these children of God that God looks across the table at them and says, you are despising my name? That sounds serious. It's the three deadly D's, dishonor, disrespect, and despise. And you know, I don't want to have God ever sit me down and look across the table from me and say, you know, I love you, but you're dishonoring me. You know I love you, but you're disrespecting me. You know I love you, but but you're despising me. But that's exactly what God is saying to his children, the three deadly deeds, dishonor, disrespect, and despise. And and here's the Israelites' response. This this really provokes them. And they respond by saying, going on in verse 6, how have we despised your name? They're saying, God, what are you talking about? how have we despised your name? And this comes with the same bad attitude that we talked about last week when God said to them, I have loved you. And and they looked back at God and said, how have you loved us? Where's the evidence that you love us? It's that same smarmy, self-righteous, sarcastic attitude. God, what are you talking about? We haven't despised your name. We haven't dishonored you. We haven't disrespected you. And, And if you had asked them, Many of them would have told you, many of them would have framed this kind of like this, you know what, we've been doing everything that we can to honor God. I mean, we're doing our part, you know, there's temple worship going on and uh, all of that happening, and we don't know what's going on with God here. You know, he doesn't seem to re- be responding to us at all, you know. We've got this temple worship going on, and uh, we're doing our very best, but he doesn't, we're not sure if he really cares about it. That's how they would have framed it. But the truth was exactly the opposite. God had loved them. God had shown covenant faithfulness to them. God was disciplining them in his love. He was being kind and merciful to them. God, how have we despised your name? God, we have no idea what you're talking about. And they're playing innocent. That's what they're doing. They're they're playing innocent here. And so God answers them back and shows exactly what he's thinking. He says, you despise my name by, by offering polluted food On my altar. Some translations say defiled food. Polluted and defiled food. Now, let me just give you a word of explanation here. According to the law of Moses, the Israelites were not permitted to bring any offering and offer it to God, any animal that was blemished in any way. Anything that was sick or anything that was diseased or lame or blind or anything like that, they couldn't offer it to God. They could only offer animals that were without blemish or defect. And this was a symbol of loving God. It was a symbol of honoring God with the very best that they had. It was like saying, you know, God, you are a great and awesome God, and you've given us everything of your love, God. You've given us your grace and blessings and covenant, God. You are a great, awesome God. And so I'm going to honor you as a great, awesome God. Uh, You have promised to provide everything that I need, and, and you have been blessing me, so I'm going to give you my best in worship. And so it's like God is sitting across the table from them saying, You know, you're dishonoring, disrespecting, and and despising me. And and they act all innocent in this and ask, you know, how we despise you? How is that true? And God says, well, when you come to worship, you bring polluted and defiled offerings to me. And then God stops. And the idea is they should have got it right there. It should have been obvious to them what he was talking about. The response should have been one of repentance. It should have looked something like this. You know, oh God, my goodness, you are right. You know, God, we have been bringing defiled offerings to you. We haven't been giving you our best. God, you're right. We've been dishonoring you. We've been disrespecting you. We've been despising you. That should have been their response. But it wasn't. Look at verse 7. The middle of verse 7 says they responded to God by saying, how have we polluted and defiled you? And at this point, as I look at the scene, I'm kind of surprised that God doesn't just reach across and dope slap them. Really, just dope slap them, you know, Um, this rebellious child that he has, you know. And uh, Listen, don't go home and say, Pastor Paul says to dope slap your child. All right, I am not saying that. I'm saying, do not dope slap your child. God didn't dope slap them. All right, but I'm kind of surprised. They look like they need a dope slap, right? I mean, this is kind of like, you know that person where they're caught with their hand in the cookie jar and they just deny it? All right, you know, they're standing there. There's a half-eaten cookie in their hand. There's chocolate chip all around their mouth. There's crumbs on their shirt. And they look at you and go, what cookie? And they go, that cookie right there? And what? What? like, what cookie? What are you talking about? Well, that's, that, that's kind of what's going on here. It's the response that kind of makes you want to walk away a little bit and get out of the radius of the lightning strike zone. Because it, it really comes across like they're playing dumb. I mean, they know exactly what it is to offer a defiled offering. They know what that is. And they respond by playing dumb. Uh, uh, God, I, I don't know what you mean. Uh, what, what are you talking about, a defiled offering? You know, God, uh, what cookie? I don't see a cookie. And so the question itself is disrespectful. They're playing dumb. Playing dumb is highly insulting and disrespectful. It's like, it's like, you know what? You know, I did it. Everybody knows I did it. It's obvious I did it. But I think this person sitting across the table from me is so dumb that if I just pretend I know nothing about it, they're so stupid, they won't be able to figure it out. That's kind of what's happening here. Can I encourage you? Don't play dumb with God. All right? Because he knows everything. He knows everything you ever did. He knows everything you ever thought of doing. He knows every thought you had. He knows every motivation that you've ever had. So if God ever calls you on something, don't play dumb with God. It's better just to say, you know what, God? You are right. You're right. You're always right. I did it. I thought it, you know, and it was sin, it was wrong, God. Would you forgive me? Always better just to be honest with God so his grace can flow to you, right? But here they're playing dumb with God. And so God responds, and and he doesn't dope slap them. And there's no lightning strike. I mean, God is patient, right? His patience is amazing. But he's also direct and and real with them. And it's like you're saying, okay, you're going to ask me that, really? All right, you're going to play dumb? Well, let me educate you. Let me tell you what every Israelite child knows by the time they're six years old. And he continues in verses seven and eight How have you polluted my altar? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? So the time for worship would come and and they would go out to their herds and their flocks and and look for what was basically useless to them. They would look for what they really didn't want anyway and then they would go and offer that to God and worship. And God calls it evil. And and if you look down at verse 13, it, it even says that they would offer what was taken by violence. Taken by violence. That's a picture of someone, it's time for worship now and someone's about to go get something lame and defiled from their flock and they say, you know what? I don't even want to spend that. Um, hey, Billy, Joe, my sons, go over to the next neighbor's house and get one of theirs and steal one of theirs. And if, they, and, and if they ask you what you're doing, just beat them up and take their goat and we'll offer that as sacrifice. So they're offering lame, diseased, sick, worthless animals in worship and maybe even somebody else's that they had uh, obtained by violence. And uh, God says it's the three deadly D's and an E now. Dishonor, disrespect, despising, and evil. The three deadly D's and an E. And so in the next phrase, he shows them how this is. He look, look at it It says, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? It's like God looks at them and says, would you treat other people like this? If your governor came for dinner, would you go out to your flock and choose the most disgusting creature out there and serve it to him?" You know, it's like he's looking at them, and he would say, you know, if your relative came over for lunch, would you go into your refrigerator and pull out the most disgusting thing still left in the back of your fridge and serve it to them? You know, if your neighbor came over and wanted to borrow a cup of milk to finish making a cake, would you open the fridge, push the fresh milk over, and then reach out in the back for that carton that's 10 days past due and give it to them? Please don't raise your hand if that is you." If, if you if you would, listen, I know some neighbors are difficult, but don't do that to them, okay? And God's saying, you know, if you wouldn't treat other people that way, why are you treating me this way? He's saying, I've loved you, but you don't love me back. You know, you're so important to me, I've been faithful to you, but by the way you approach me in worship, it looks like I'm just not that important to you. It looks like you think, I'm really not that great a God. I'm not that great. You don't value me. You disrespect me. You dishonor me. You despise me. You treat me in evil ways. You know, genuine worship will cost you something. Loving God will cost you something. Loving God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength will cost you something it costs you something of yourself you give something of yourself to god every time you love him every time you worship him jesus said whoever wants to be my disciple whoever wants to follow me whoever wants to love me must deny themselves take up their what take up their cross and follow me you know and there's some people who are surprised at that because after all you know i thought salvation was free right I thought God's love is free. I thought that God's grace is a free gift. Pastor Paul, I thought that you said last week that we can't do anything to make God love us more than he does right now. And all of that is absolutely true. But we're not talking here about earning anything. What we're talking here and what God is talking to us about is about responding to him. not talking about earning his love, earning his forgiveness, or anything like that. We're talking about how we respond to his love, how we respond to his grace. The first thing that God said to the Israelites in this conversation was, I have loved you. Before you did anything good or bad, I have loved you. You didn't didn't earn the covenant, you didn't deserve the covenant, but I have loved you. And the very next thing that he talks with them about is essentially, are you loving me back? Are you responding to my love the way you should? You know, I think the best definition that I've ever heard of worship is this. Worship is responding to all that God is with all that I am. Worship is responding to all that God is with all that I am. You see, God is the initiator with us. God is always the initiator. He takes the first step. He loved us by becoming one of us. He loved us by walking among us and teaching us and healing us. He loved us by dying at our hands, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. He loved us by rising from the dead and sitting down at the right hand of the Father to intercede there for us. And he loved us by saying, "'Cast all of your cares upon me, for I care for you.'" And he loves us by promising that one day he's going to come back and receive us to himself so that we can be with him forever and forever.'" God has loved us. He initiated all of this with us. And so you see, it's not about earning his love. It's about responding to his love. It's about valuing his love. And God is saying in these verses, I've loved you, but but you're not loving me back. You're you're treating me with the three deadly D's and an E. Now look at the next verse, verse 9. He says to them, now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Now look at that phrase, entreat the favor of God. The idea is that we should seek God's favor. Act in a way that he can show favor to you. Worship in a way that enables him to be gracious to you. Offer your life to him in a way that enables his favor to be poured out on you. He wants to be gracious to you. He wants to show favor to you. Now, some of you might be prompted at this point to ask, you know, Pastor Paul, aren't you saying that we somehow earn God's favor through our worship? And if you're still operating under the idea that somehow God's love equals material blessings, then yeah, these verses will look that way to you. But as we saw last week, God's love and material blessings are not a one-to-one relationship. So if you ever had that idea, I hope you got rid of it last week. And if you haven't, I hope you get rid of it this week. Because God can love you and withhold favor at the same time. I'm going to say that again. God can love you and withhold favor at the same time. And I know there's probably a couple of you who are wondering, Pastor Paul, what are you talking about? How can that be? Well, let me show you. Here's the idea. God always loves you. And the correct response we have to that is to love him back with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To be passionate about our love. That, God, you're a great, awesome God. I'm going to love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when we do that, then God is able to continue pouring out his grace, continue pouring out his favor. But God can also love you and discipline you. And in this case, what happens is this. God loves you. He still loves you. But when we don't respond with the type of, I love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, we don't respond by loving him back the way we should. When we have some things in our lives that maybe are showing God some disrespect or dishonor, God begins to discipline us. He still loves us, but instead of experiencing favor and graciousness, we experience loving discipline. Let me show you how this happens. It's in the New Testament. In the book of Hebrews, he says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. How many of you like it when God rebukes you? Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. I know, that's hard for us to hear sometimes, right? It's hard for us to like, you know, when someone's rebuking you, how many of you feel loved? But with God, he says he disciplines, he rebukes the one he loves loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. He disciplines those he loves. When God disciplines you, he is treating you like his children. When he disciplines you, he is showing you love. So God can love you and show favor and graciousness, or God can love you and discipline you. Either way, God is loving you. His love hasn't changed. And so that's what's happening here. God says, I have loved you, and and he's disciplining them because they're treating him with the three Ds and an E, dishonor, disrespect, despising, and evil. And he's saying, you know, I'd rather not discipline you. I'd rather show favor to you. I'd rather be gracious to you. Do you think I like disciplining you? Do you think I enjoy this? Look at verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure In you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. I have no pleasure in you. I have no pleasure in this. You have no pleasure in this. I have no pleasure in discipline. I would rather be gracious to you and show favor. And treat me, seek me, treat me in a way that will enable me to show you favor and be gracious to you. Look at verse 11. Then he goes on and says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. So twice here in verse 11, God says that his name is great among the nations. I am a great God. And once in verse 14, God says it again. I am a great God. My name will be great among the nations. Prayer and worship is offered among the nations. And here's the idea. He's saying, by now, you should be responding to God. They should be saying, you know what, God? You are right. God, we're sorry, God. We have been treating you with dishonor and disrespect, and you've called us on it. We can't really deny it anymore. God, we just repent, God, and help us to change. That should be their response. But look at verse 13. God says, you say, what? A weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. Now, this is really obnoxious. What a weariness this is. This is like they collectively looked at God and just said, Can I be dismissed now? Can, can, I, can I leave the table, please? It's like they're sigh, looking at the floor and 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 looking at the ceiling, and hopping, and puffing, and snorting, and doing everything not to look at God in the face, and, and hear what he's saying, and the, it's like they're saying, this is so lame, this is so stupid, God, can I please just leave the table, and you snort at it, and God kind of says, no, God just keeps 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 going, keeps talking to them for several more verses, it's like, You know, they want to get away, but God won't let them. Verse 13 says, You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Curse be the chief who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Now, as we're going to get ready to conclude in just a few minutes, You may not know this, but there are some Christians in other states. They may be Cowboys fans or Giants fans. Maybe even some Steelers fans on the other side of the state. You know. But there are some Christians who want to approach God and they want the I have loved you part, but they don't want the I respond to you part with everything that I am. You know, they want to receive all that, everything God's given to us, all that amazing, gracious stuff that he's given to us. The I have loved you, but they don't want to respond with the, uh, God, I respond to everything that you are with everything that I am. It's a diseased, impure, lame worship offering. And it says, you know what, God is not that great. Jesus just really isn't that great. He's really not worth all of that. I don't need to respond to him with with, with all of that, with my whole life. You know, I'll offer him a little bit here on Sunday maybe, you know, but the rest of the week, that's mine. I do what I want. I do whatever I want. That belongs to me. You know, some people now, it's not even once a week on Sunday. It's once a month or twice a month or once a quarter. And God says, weak, lame diseased, offering. But you know what? I see something different here. I believe God sees something different here. God has a different vision than all of that for you uh, individually and for all of us corporately as the body of Christ at First Assembly. I believe in a body of believers that responds to all that God is with all that we are. I believe in a body of believers that sees the life of Jesus sees the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus and says, Lord, you are a great king and your name will be feared among the nations. That says, Jesus, you are a great king, and your name will be feared and honored among us, God. Your name will be feared and honored on Sunday and on Monday and on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, God. Every day of my life, your name is going to be honored among us. You know, I believe in a church that, that is so on fire and in so, so much passion for God that the people of Lancaster begin to start to ask, what is going on with those people down at First Assembly? I mean, there's so much favor. There's so much graciousness being poured out on them. That's the church I believe in. I mean, I believe in a church that is so on fire that, that you know, when people come across you and they, they just happen to say something you know, some need that they have. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe it's a some, someone who's sick. Maybe they're sick. And then you have enough faith to say, you know what? Can I just pray for that? You know, and not in a way that just says I want to make you feel better, but in a way that says, you know, I believe in a living God who wants to move in your situation. I believe he's going to move. I believe in that kind of church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah amen amen god give us that kind of church would you all stand with me we're going to sing this song and i want to just invite you would you spend a little time at the altar with me and just come as we sing i'm coming back to the heart of worship if you want to respond by saying yeah god that's the kind of christian i want to be and if you're here you've never given your life to god come down do it now say god jesus i believe in you You are my Savior and my Lord, and I need you in my life. And uh, if you've just been away from him and haven't been serving him, come down here this morning and say, God, I want to serve you. I don't want to give you any weak, lame offering. God, I want to serve you with all I have. And if you've been doing that, would you join us here at the altar as a declaration that, God, I want to respond to all that you are with all that I am in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen music faith yes God is God all is stripped away in a simplet